Welcome to The Outcast, the podcast from Outlaw Pro, the ultimate angling experience. Welcome to part two of The Outcast Live. Remember, we had an absolutely fantastic show down here at Billericay Outlaw Pro Megastore. We had some superb guests and we recorded them for you to enjoy. Coming up this week, we have got the amazing Henry Lennon and Jacob Worth from Nash. They're looking at local Essex and also some very inspirational London carp fishing. Next up, it's Keith Williams as well, his life in carp fishing, but also bait boats. Keith is an expert with bait boats, and what he will tell you will definitely catch you more fish. And then joining me on stage after that, two absolute superstars, hilarious people, these two, Dan Hawks and Jay Cater from Ridge Monkey. We're going to be talking about the great escape adventures, some of the things that went on behind the scenes, and also life at Ridge Monkey. So first up, we've got Henry Lennon and Jacob from Nash. Essex and London carp fishing is the subject, and Henry has caught some absolutely superb fish, including some real targets. So let's catch up with him and look at how he targets more carp. If you wanted to catch more than, than the average angler, you had to fish different to the average angler because certain methods may work, of course, but these fish, especially the bigger, older ones, they very, very quickly become aware of what's a dangerous situation. So I've got a few successful campaigns here that I want to talk about that would just sort of go over this point where often when you're, when you're fishing in Essex, the thing to think about is how can you fish in a way that's different to people? How can you fish in a way that the carp aren't used to? Because the carp, a carp, it's not a smart animal, but it will associate things with danger. And what it associates with danger is being caught. So if you're presenting a feeding situation to it every single time that everyone else presents to it and it's getting caught this way, it's going to be very wary of the situation. So what you need to try and do if you want to catch more than most people is find a way to present a situation to a carp that it's not used to seeing as dangerous. Um, so the first campaign that I wanted to talk about was actually my very first one after I, I joined Nash and moved down to Essex and I wanted to find somewhere to fish. And I found this club lake um, not too far from, uh, from work, sort of Chelmsford area. There's a handful of carp in there, maybe 30 in about an acre. And these fish, like I said about Essex carp, as I'm sure you all know, very, very pressured. They knew what the score was and they were very hard to catch. Everyone here fished with boilies, just boilies, and you could actually see the carp, the water was gin clear, you could see them spooking off this bait. Yes, of course people would catch, eventually people would catch, and everyone's fishing this method, so of course, it's gonna be successful, it's gonna resort in fish every now and then. But I'm sat there thinking, okay, how can I fish in a way the carp aren't used to that's gonna make them much easier for me to catch? It was around this time that we brought out uh, Flake. Now, of course, this is nothing new, it's just boily crumb. Um, but I was speaking to Kevin uh, Nashi about the situation I was in and we just brought it out and he said try giving this a go, just feeding flake. The carp aren't used to seeing this, not in big quantities at least, and it might be an edge for how you can go about catching them. So I went about pre-baiting a, a few areas on the lake, areas of the lake as well that weren't that busy, um, areas that the carp weren't used to being fished for. So straight away I'm going to put two things there, how can you target these fish, make them feel safe feeding, they don't associate it with danger, I'm looking at the location I'm fishing in and the way I'm applying the bait. I'm still fishing boiling, but it's all in, in flake form. And I got through quite a lot of flake doing this. I'd say the first sort of two, three weeks where I was pre-baiting, I did about 20 kilos. And then over the course of the campaign, which was about two months, I probably put in another 40 to 50 kilos. So it's a lot of bait going in there, but 
if I was just doing that in Boyley, I know for a fact that the carp would have been wary of it. They've been a lot more spooked out by it, but because they've never seen flake like this before in such large quantities, they're not associating that with danger. So that's always something you need to be thinking about, is how can you present something to a fish that it's not scared of? And I felt like this was going to be the way to do it. So after I pre-baited for a couple of weeks, I went down for my first session, and on that first session I had two bites, which is a quick work overnighter, which was the biggest common in the lake, this 32-pounder up here, and then this other common just to the right of it uh, that I braced shortly after. This is all from one spot, a one-rod spot, all over flake, and that straight away made me realise, okay, the, the, Nashi was right, as he often is, you've got to think of a way to present the bait to them in a way that they're not used to in Essex, because it's, if I was in Switzerland, I'd go down, throw a bit of corn for them, and they'd feed on it, because they're natural carp, that's how... They're not, they're not scared about being caught. But these Essex carp, they're completely different. The campaign um, continued to be successful, but the one that the carp I was after was this big mirror, mid-30, um, really old fish, and that was what I really, really wanted to catch. Um, I remember it got to a point where, um, where I'd been baiting for sort of three or four weeks, and I went away for uh, two weeks. I put a big hit of bait in before I left. When I got back, I put another big hit of bait in, and I knew in two days full moon it was going to be the time and I was telling everyone in the office it's going to happen it's going to happen I'm going to catch this carp and um, I got down the lake got the rods out straight away I caught two bream so I'm dreading it I'm, I'm thinking oh, I'm going to go into the office tomorrow after telling everyone this is the night I catch it but I've caught nothing just two bream I then go on a couple of hours later to catch um, to catch a small common maybe 20 pounds so I'm thinking oh, at least I've caught caught one I got the rod back out and it was a couple of hours before I had to pack up and go to work a screaming take, playing this fish in these deep margins, and eventually this massive slate grey mirror pops up, it's the one I want, in the net, and that was a campaign over. And that was my first Essex campaign, and straight away it just became so clear to me that the way you need to fish for these carp is different to how I'd been used to in the past growing up, and that was, you've got to think outside the box. And it's not just this campaign that's proven that for me. Every time I fish in Essex now, I'm always thinking about how can you fish that's different to other people. And I, I, I think that that is a problem that a lot of people do get caught up in. They get caught in following what everyone else is doing because it's proven to work in some way. But if you want to succeed beyond the average success rate of most anglers on a lake, you need to think of a different way to fish for them. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are aware of Chigwa Fisheries. Uh, it's a day to get lake, not too far from here. It's a complex that I love, a lot of boys from work love because uh, there's a lot of different type of fishing on offer and there's, uh, there's some really nice carp in there. And if you go to Chigwa, you'll see uh, a lot of people fish the same way. So 80%, 90% of the anglers, they fish the same way. They, they pick their swim for the weekend, they're fishing there, they're not going to move. So I'm thinking again, okay, how can I be different to this? How can you approach it differently? And the way I approach Chigwa is, my, my mindset at Chigwa is there's always a bite to be had somewhere on one of those lakes. No matter what time of the year it is, there is a bite somewhere. So if you don't feel you're close to a bite within the next half half an hour, an hour, it's time to move. So I'll go round, as you can see here, one or two rods, in a sling mat, backpack um, on, a bit of bait, and I'll just walk and walk the complex until I find fish that are up for feeding. And again, this is a different way of approaching. It's not the bait approach now, this is more of a technical approach that I'm changing up. And it has accounted for, so I do fish there quite a lot, but it's accounted for so many carp. Uh, this, one here is the split fin, which is the, the big one um, from the main lake, spawned out here. Um, there's loads and loads of these cooler old proper Essex dark commons here as well. And I know for a fact that every one of these fish that I've caught, especially these two on display here, 
they've come from this mobile roving approach. We talk a lot at Nash about being mobile and, and, and staying on the move and I think sometimes people think that that's just moving once in a session. This is here taking it to the extreme and this is where it shows, again, changing the way you approach your fishing against the norm of everyone else can really help account for, for a lot more fish then than you used to. Sometimes you may get it wrong, of course. Um, thinking outside the box can result in catastrophic failures, but sometimes it can result in such huge amounts of success. And then if you maximise it, you can really, really clear the lake out because a carp, they're not actually that hard to catch. What, when they're hard to catch is when they're associating things with danger. I know I keep saying it, but this is something that you really got to think about. What is that fish in fear of? Because it doesn't want to get caught. What are those situations that it's, it's wary of? If you can think of these situations where it's not in that mindset, you're going to put yourself in much better stead for catching these fish. Another example of this working is, um, is it Barleylands? Barleylands, uh, if anyone is aware, is, is two minutes away from here. It's uh, quite a famous uh, club lake. It's full of really, really nice carp. And again, very, very pressured by a lot of very good anglers. So I'm going there thinking, okay, how can I, how can I fish this place in a way that the carp won't see as, as dangerous? There was, um, there's a lot of nice mirrors in there, but the main target for me was a really big common. I wanted to catch this big common that lived in there. I wanted to catch a big 40 pound Essex common. I hadn't caught one before, so that was my target. When you go down by the there's a big ring of weed that goes down the whole lake. And if you strip a little bit of that out, you see these tiny, tiny little mussels in there. So I'm thinking, okay, the carp is feeling safe, it's feeding on these mussels. How can I replicate something like that where it's, it's not associated in the situation with danger? It's associated in the situation with free food, safe food. And I settled on hemp. Nothing crazy there. I'm sure you've all fished with hemp before, but I'm talking about just feeding hemp. And again, quite a lot of hemp. Nothing else in the mix, just hemp, tiny trim down waffles over the top, as dark as possibly can. And straight away, it's proved to be a success. On my first session, I caught four fish, including the one I was after, the big common here. And this, this carp, it's seen it all, it's seen everything. And to catch it so quickly on this method made me realise that, yes, it's because it felt safe even this way. If I had just gone and fished over spread of boilies or spotting out, 10 kilos of a, just a big mix with three rods on a spot. I don't think I would have caught that carp as quickly. It's because I found a way that that carp food's safe and it trips up instantly. And this is what you always need to think about. Fishing for Essex carp, they're pressured. How can you think outside the box? And that's not just for Essex carp, it's for any pressured carp situation. So I thought I'd put one in here from a very recent trip. I've just been over to France. I ended up on a, um, a public uh, lake. Now public lakes in France, they're quite notorious for being full of, of wild carp, but this lake, it was, did get quite busy, um, especially on the weekends with lots of local anglers, and the way they were fishing was throwing stick, a kilo of boilies out, and putting rods over the top, because there was, um, cause it used to seem to be the way that everyone was fishing there, so I'm, again I'm thinking, right, these are pressured carp, just like the Essex carp, the way they're, the situation they're associating with danger is when they come across a kilo of boilies and a bright purple over the top, so I can't fish like that because I'm not going to catch them in the way I want to catch them. So how can I change my approach here? So what I did was a um, bit of a bit of stroke pull in here, which also lends itself quite a lot in our angling. Sometimes you never get away with it. There's actually a no boat rule on there. But I decided I wait I wait till it, it was late at night, go out in the boat and load the spot with bait. So I went out, um, found this deep deep gully that I could cast to, 
and filled it in with 20 kilos of tigers, particle, all bait that I know the carp wouldn't have seen far out in the water before. The thing about European anglers is they don't spod, they like throwing sticks and that's about it, they like their boiling fishing. So the only time that I knew that these carp would see um, see particle would be, if ever, in the edge. They would never have seen it in such big quantities out in the water unless someone had done like I had bent, bent a rule and gone out in the boat. Um, so that's, that's my plan. Again, you don't know whether it's going to work. You're going against the norm. Sometimes it feels safer just to do what everyone else is doing and see if you can nick a bite or two. But I thought, no, I'm going to go and stick to my gun and see what happens. So I put that bait out, uh, first light, because it was a days only rule, cast the rods out, and uh, within an hour I had two bites, a 61 pounder and a 45 pounder. I knew that the carp were on the bait at this point. They, they were, felt so safe eating it. They've gone through their, the whole of their lives where they're associating with danger with it being a spread of boilies and right from the top. They've now found all this good quality food in abundance. They've never seen it danger before. I knew it was game on. So that night, I did the same thing again, put all this bait out. Um, and the next morning, I had another bite, which was the biggest common in the lake, the 64 pounder. And you see that. This is also a way of catching the bigger fish. The bigger fish are the ones that clue up quickest, they get the wisest the quickest, they associate more and more things with danger because they've been caught more and more than the smaller fish. So when you're fishing for those big fish, not just pressure carp, think of ways that they're not seeing something that's dangerous. It's the best bit of advice I can give, especially for this area, like I said, there's so many carp anglers here, the fish are so pressured, they've seen it all. So don't fall into the trap of doing what everyone else is doing. Make sure you're thinking outside the box, trying different ways to approach things. Uh, it's definitely going to result in a few more fish. And if you've messed up once or twice along the way, I always think it's okay because once in a while you're going to get it right and you're going to see the rewards for it. Um, so that's So I decided for mine to, uh, less advice, it's more just sort of putting together a few of sort of my favourite fish that I've caught, a few of my favourite pictures for various different reasons, whether it's like a unique capture or a unique venue, um, all of which are in London from, I lived up north growing up, fished quite a lot of um, quiet venues, fished really nice sort of quiet, my dad would take me out to the rivers, closer yeah, all good? That's better. My dad used to take me to the rivers, like peaceful lakes, which I'm sure most of you guys will prefer that style of angling. But from moving to the city, didn't take any gear with me. I went down to study performing arts, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to fish in the city. The canals are barren, there's hardly any lakes. This is what I thought. And then probably two, three years into living in London, I thought, I'm going to walk down the canals and have a little look. Walked around, I thought, really crystal clear. You can see shopping trolleys, litter on the floor. You think, there's definitely no fish in here. Compared to the canals where I grew up, muddy, there's little fish jumping out. It's just not like that in London. A lot of cormorants, hardly any small fish. And then one day, I walked down and just saw a massive shoal of bream. And they were big bream to me at the time. They are probably like eight, nine pounds. I was like, wow, they're massive. I used to do a little bit of match fishing. So even though bream to a carp angler's nothing special, to me that was like, they're monsters. So I started to have a, more of a look, started searching on YouTube fishing in London, found a few things, some of the old Nash videos with Alfie on the Park Lakes and all that kind of stuff, Walthamstow. So I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to buy some gear and I'm going to give it a go. Now, this one is probably one of the most standout um, early fish that I caught on the canal. Now, very small stretch, probably 
three quarters of a mile, nothing, hardly any boats, nowhere for the cop really to hide, but they were still very elusive. There was only six or seven fish. Now you find them, you put bait there, they're gone. Sometimes you'll catch them feeding, but it was always on naturals, and I could never figure out how to catch them. It just was something I'd not experienced before. No one wants to help you out. You don't see many other anglers, so you're just there looking at these mad carp that few of them were 20 pounders out of maybe six or seven fish. To me, again, that, that was a big fish back then. Um, and this one in particular was, me and my friend called it the Michelin Common, named it after a tyre because it was short and really fat and really dark, and you just peered over the edge of the canal, it was there right in the edge, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And what I did was, um, I think I was about 17, 18 then, and I didn't have the confidence to do the nights on my own. So what I was doing was getting up, getting on the train, minimal gear, and I was going down sort of five, six in the morning. And this particular day, I'd probably done five or six sessions and I just couldn't for the life of me get it to even feed. I was putting beds of corn, it was leaving it. I was putting sort of dark baits that would blend into the bottom of the canal. It was leaving it, it just would not feed on the bait. And in the end, all I did was, I put a very small trimmed down bait in front of where it was swimming and it was I, I turned up it was swimming in the middle of the canal I could see it clear as day and I said crystal clear pure luck and I knew where it was going to go to because I'd always see it there around sort of 9, 10 in the morning so I was like I'm going to beat it there and marching down the canal I dropped it right in the edge just a trim down little bait nothing around it because I'd see it feeding in that area must have been on shells bloodworm things like that but as soon as I put bait there it just swam straight over it was like no I know what that is dropped a single and I was laying down on the side of the canal on the towpath just watching the video on YouTube and then started going I was like no way and luckily I caught that fish out of the seven or eight carp it was the only carp I caught out of that stretch and then I moved on uh, and it was I think it went 26, 27 pound jet black like the fight was mental crystal clear you could see it rolling rubbing against the wall so I'd say that's probably the most standout from the early days I caught a few other 20 pounds out of the canal it was just really enjoyable and from then fishing the canals I thought there must be so many of these like really there must be so many of these really unique fish that I don't think that many people will have even walked that stretch and if they have oh this is this is horrendous I'm not going to put a bivy up here it's so uncomfortable not what we go fishing for but for me that sort of thrill and buzz of trying to chase these more elusive carp that don't see they don't get caught as often that that really appealed to me so that was I'd say the first fish that I looked at, I went, yeah, I need, I need more like this. I think I've put a few other slides in. Moved on to how we, there we go. So this, again, just shows, like, how has that got in the canal? Really nice, sort of leathery one. Don't think it was a true leather. It had a couple of scales, but this one screamed off, and it actually got me stuck around some boats, so I blurred it out so you couldn't see exactly where I'm fishing. But um, there was a load of boats in this little area, and it, got me stuck and I, I borrowed a little canoe from the, the canoe club nearby and went out and I remember pulling all the oxygen weed up and thinking oh please still be on and it come up and it's just perfect brown leather and I was like oh my god so I remember that one really clearly again like 20 pounders not massive fish but I would much rather like a nice 20 pounder out of a clear canal than say a 30 from like a busier lake that was just the kind of thing that I was really enjoying at the time this was a target fish from another small stretch of canal. This year I just spent going up and down. And this was around the time, sorry, I haven't even clicked on it. Uh, how, how do you get it to come up, Henry? I'm not very tech savvy, as you can see. There we go. No, same one. That's weird, isn't it? It's showing on this one, but not on there. That's a, go back one. Don't want to show that one. Anyway, it's a nice, 
again, upper 20 mirror from a canal. Um, and around that time, that was when I was thinking, how can I take this to the next level? I was looking at rivers, looking at park lakes, looking at all these kind of venues. And yes, it's not ideal fishing the canals. It's not accessible. You don't really want to be setting up the bivy and doing nights, but for opportunist fishing, walking around, having a look, don't speak to any other anglers. You just won't see anyone about. Make little spots, see the carp coming in and out. And yes, yeah, it's, it's really exciting fishing. And there we go. So that one was 28 pound. And I actually saw that slightly bigger stretch than the first one. I had a lot of boats on it. So I saw about eight or nine carp. I reckon now, looking back, I think there's probably 12 or 13 carp in this stretch. There was two that were up at 20, no 30 pounders. And this one I saw the day before swimming. It's the first time I ever saw it. I'd, I'd heard rumors from some of the local boys, oh, there's a big dark mirror. And I saw it swim really slowly with two little commons either side of it. And I was like, I'm going to catch you. And just, just by luck, I guess, the very next day, I caught that fish. So again, this was the first year me being in London. I'd never caught a carp 28 pounds when I was younger back up north. So to catch them in that very first sort of spring was, yeah, I, I was really enjoying it. I got a little bit too obsessed. And that's when I started putting more time into the fishing. And this was around the time that... I didn't really have social media then. Um, I think I downloaded Instagram actually around the time that I was fishing that canal. And I was just, it would prop my phone up, take a little video and I made like some little vlogs. Oh, fishing the canal. And that's when people started showing an interest and I was like, oh, is this, people like this kind of stuff. Obviously it's reasonably unique. A few people have done it and made videos, but that was kind of the start for me where I started to film my fishing. Before that, I was just going and probably just enjoying catching this part. Do you want to scroll just a side? Go next one. Uh, go back to that lin the, the linear. Yeah, yeah. So then from this point, I wanted to take it to the next level. The canals are enjoyable, but like I say, you can't set up for nights. So it's a very unique style of angling that sometimes you want to take yourself away from to enjoy a bit more peaceful fishing. This one um, is a reservoir um, with some ridiculous carp in. And actually an older guy that I met on the canals said to me, there's a reservoir, not allowed to fish it, but you, you can get... <laughs> get away with fishing it um, as long as you're respectful and you leave early you don't leave litter that kind of thing the staff almost sort of say yeah thank you and off you go so he said come with me don't tell anyone don't don't make videos about it keep it between me and you and he took me on there and um, <laughs> well you don't no one knows where it is it's all hidden and um, this was years this was when was this 2018 I want to say we went he took me down there got in and immediately some of the local anglers came up to us and started threatening us because they had it to themselves and he knew them but he wasn't meant to bring anyone else and he brought me so they started getting angry shouting him got some messages threatening him don't bring anyone else down again so then he said i'm not interested i don't want to go down there anymore but i caught a few like carp that looked like this so i was like wow i'm definitely going back so i was go started going back on my own i did have a few rows with some of the locals but i said to them look i'm not going to make any videos I'll, put, I'll take pictures like you boys do, but I won't name the venue or make it obvious where it is. So you can see that a lot of it's blurred, so you can't actually tell the venue. Um, and I went on to catching one morning, a big southwesterly wind, I was just flicking out pop-ups, simple fishing, and I ended up having like 5.30s in the morning, just me and a friend, and it was just like screaming off every, couldn't believe it. And we had two 3.30s in the net at once, couldn't even get them out for pictures by the time the next rod had gone off. So again, these are just like highlights of some of uh, my most enjoyable fishing. And that was really then when I was, I was becoming, 
I don't want to say I wasn't a good angler before I was, but I've not really done big carp fishing. So this is when I was really starting to improve as an angler and I wanted to find that next level. Um, so I started moving on to more park lakes. Okay, so we're working here. Yeah, so this was two of the 30s, so that's a 37 pound mirror and the bottom common, I believe, around 32, 33, and that was on that same morning like where I had all those 30 pounders, so they're really nice fish as well. And these are venues that aren't, they're not pressured. So like Henry was saying before, in, with Essex venues or other places in the country where the fish are pressured, they don't behave like carp, whereas if these behave like carp would in the wild, so if there's a big wind, or there's a hatch, they'll get on it and they, they show to clear leeches. And you, if you're there at the right time, you don't need the fanciest rigs, the best bait. You just need to be there and put the time in. And a lot of the, the cases in London is that is what is missing. People don't want to fish the venue. So the carp necessarily aren't really hard to catch, but the effort to get to the venue or to stick doing a night on somewhere that doesn't feel too safe, that is part of the hard work. And I think that's why even now, even though there's been a lot of publicity, um, with video content in London, the venues are still quiet. That first common I caught, I made a video and put it on YouTube, but I'd be shocked if it's been caught more than once or twice in the five years since that video went out. It's because people don't want to fish that style. So if you're looking for somewhere to change things up, you're getting a bit bored of angling, it sometimes gets a bit stale, you know, fishing the same lake, try somewhere a little bit different that you think people will avoid. Then again, these are all part lake fish. So this is when I was roaming around in the summer um, just opportunist fishing, quick work overnighters. I was working in an aquarium at the time. I'd finish, go after work, bait up um, places. Some places I knew there was a big end, some I didn't have a clue what was in there. Just chuck a five kilo bucket. Again, doesn't have to be loads of bait, just enough, two, three kilos normally at a time. And I'll just go back two nights later, do a quick overnighter, and I'll find out what's in there. And these are some of the really nice fish that I had. That's a 33 pound mirror, really old fish out of a park lake. This one. Probably one of my favourite carp I've ever caught, um, 37 pound, I think I had it, no, what was it? Yeah, around 30, I think it's around 35, 36 pound, um, and this is a big, big part lake. So this one for me was like, right, this is going to be a big campaign. I went down there, baiting up constantly. One end's really shallow, one end's really deep, and it sort of drops off around an island. And I thought, coming into the autumn, the fish are going to drop into the slightly deeper water. I'm going to put a lot of bait in. When I say a lot, I mean no more than 10 kilos because that's all I can carry on, on the train. I can't take a big barrel of 30 kilo bait. So maybe sort of six, seven kilos. I'd go down, spod for like two hours getting a bait out. You couldn't use boats or anything. And yeah, this one, I got very lucky. Um, I turned up on my very first session. I reckon there's 250 carp minimum in the lake, a lot of small commons, three mirrors in the lake. And the very first bite was this one. And it come up and I knew it as the big lane. It'd been caught before. And it, it come up like rolled and I was like, no way, it's the big lane, no way. And obviously landed it and then went on to catching quite a lot. And there's still a carp in that lake that I want to catch, uh, mid 40 common, really dark, old fish. And it's sort of known as the one that's almost as good as that. So this is a lake that I want to go back to. But yeah, that one, as you can see, just pristine, overslung mouth, immaculate scales, perfect. Gets caught like hardly ever again because people don't want to fish the venue. There's a lot of carp in there, but there's a lot of people walking around, dogs, swans going over your line, boaters. So it, it can be a lot of miver, but when you catch one of those fish, it can make it worthwhile. This one is a 40 pounder. Uh, this was my first ever 40 pound carp. So this one was a special moment for me. And I was living slightly outside of London at the time. 
and it was a part of the River Thames where the tidal came in to the, a canal and there was a big slack around this area and often the carp would come into this slack water. The locks were always open and my mate told, I, I, this one I got told about, some, some you find, some you get told and luckily a friend actually caught this fish and he told me, mate, I've seen some absolutely massive carp here. They come out of the tidal, the bigger fish, they want to sit in that slack of water and on hot days you'll sometimes see them in the upper layers. So I went down there and some of the carp I saw, I've got video footage on my phone, you can see massive, big, scaly carp. It's like a lot of the guys who fish the tidal, it's brutal. Can't get, there's nowhere to access the bank in a lot of places. It rises and falls so quickly um, that it's hard to fish. I've never actually fished in the flow. Um, but yeah, some of the fish I saw, like mirror, I definitely saw a few like upper 30 mirrors. I saw a common bigger than this one. And I don't know if any, that anyone's ever caught them in the tidal. It's a massive river. Obviously, Nick Kelly had the 50, but that's way up the Thames. We're talking like the um, similar area to where Terry Irm would have fished in the films he put out on the boat. So there's really the mystery of it. I was like, this is crazy. Like some of the carp I've seen was like, wow. Put loads of bait in. And again, bit of luck. This was the first carp I caught out of that bit. Now, big fat pig, someone had caught it there before, it was obviously, it went there a lot to feed, so I got lucky with that one, and I fished it again, um, multiple nights, and didn't have anything, um, so, bit of a lucky one, I'd, again, I'd love to go back there, but it's one of them places you could fish 100 nights and catch one or two fish, so, really cool venue, but that was my first 40 pound in, to have it from, like, the tidal was pretty special, that was it on the mat, I remember when I brought it out onto the mat, I FaceTimed my mate, and I went, it's a 50 pounder, it's 50 pound, it's huge. It was like, obviously the shape of it, it wasn't, it was really weird, it was thin across the top. And I remember seeing it in the water before and it had, because it had all scars and scabs across it. It was thin across the top. So I only thought it was like scraper 30. But when, you, when it flipped it over, it was just like massive big bin lid of a fish. So yeah, I remember that FaceTime telling my mate, 50 pound, and then I called him back there, it was only 41 actually. <laughs> So this is the Kingfisher. So moving on, I've done the park lakes, canals and rivers. I've enjoyed all this kind of different style of angling. And I thought, how can I take it to the next level? And for me, there's, there's a canal and river system that runs through London and it's got loads of wicked carp in and big carp as well, like a few 40 pounders. But again, you can't fish it effectively from the bank because it's just not safe. Um, running through parts of London where you wouldn't want to be on your own at night time, put it that way. So I thought, how can I fish these places? And I went on to buying a small boat. Still got the boat now, um, and I love it. It's a lot of hassle, engine failing, parts breaking, but when it's all working good, you can drive it up and down, nice sort of spring, this, this weather, you find carp so much easier off the boat, and you've got the comfort of not worrying about your safety, and you can just drop the rods off the back, and when you don't even need bite alarms. When the rod goes, the whole boat vibrates, so the excitement, yeah, it's brilliant. I still fish on it now, I've had the boat now, I think I bought it during lockdown, so yeah, I've had the boat three years, I think I've got a few pictures of some of the nice carp I've caught. This was uh, November, just gone mid-20 common again and this is a canal crystal clear the fish can move through locks and go anywhere but when you recognize a fish say spawn and you see 20 carp oh that's mega and then you catch it say three four miles later three four miles away sort of a year later it's, it's really unique it's really, that one was cool I, I named that one the armadillo i saw it spawning with a massive mirror um and i went went on to catch that in november deep bit of canal i thought they'll all turn up here in the colder months and i, I got it right on that one occasion and then finally, we've got the docks. Um, 
this, I would say, is probably the pinnacle for me in terms of my fishing in London. Not necessarily the nicest fish, but in terms of the size and the whole uh, spectacle of the venue. Um, big dock, fished it once. Uh, my friends invited me down, he was fishing in the winter. I turned up with a bed chair and a pot of pop-ups and he lent me a rod. And I flicked out and caught a couple and thought, this is unbelievable. Massive dock, you've got um, Canary Wharf in the background, all the skyscrapers, HSBC Tower building. You're thinking, this is a bit weird that you're actually fishing here. And when you hook one, 18 foot deep, they're just fighting underneath, you're all on concrete banks. And I was like, I'm definitely going to come here again. And then sort of, didn't, didn't end up going back. Two, three years later, me and my partner were looking for somewhere to rent in London and the prices were just crazy. So we, we looked at boats. How can we live on a boat? We, we don't want somewhere on the canal where you have to move it. We want somewhere stationed. So we actually looked at getting a boat in the marina. We found one that was affordable and somehow she fell to my persuasion because she was like you're only getting a boat because you can fish that dock I know what you're like I was like no no I'd love to live on a boat it's, it's just a lovely lifestyle it was in total lie I just wanted to fish this dock because I knew if I fished if I was able to get a boat the time going down there to do nights like you could do 50 nights and catch 5 carp so and getting there is a nightmare it's not close to a station you can't really get a bus close there so I knew it was going to be yeah, just a lot of effort. So the houseboat was the one. So we got that in the end. And then I found out I wasn't allowed to fish off the boat. So I was like, oh, no. So this was a small dock where the houseboat was, small channel, and then the big dock, which I'd say is about 30 acres in size. Deep, Thames gates open um, every now and again. So fresh Thames water comes in, new fish come in, the fish never leave. Once they get out of the tidal Thames, they stay because big carp don't want to be getting washed around in the Thames. So. That's a good thing about it. New fish come in, so there's that there is a bit of mystery there, but you see the resident fish every year. So I started to get to know it. Didn't fish from for the first year, but I was watching them. You could see them all around the dock where you're not allowed to fish, swimming around my boat, almost terrorising me. You see these 40 pounders like, oh, why? I can't put a bit of bread and catch them. And I decided to do a winter campaign. Um, actually made a film with Nash on this one. It's a syndicate, so I felt like if there was ever a venue that I could make a film where I could actually publicise the venue and not worry about it getting flooded with anglers and getting a lot of backlash, you have to actually apply for um, to go on the waiting list for this one. So I made a, I made a big film about living on a boat and uh, targeting these carp, so you can watch that on Nash if you haven't seen it. Um, and I went on to catching both the target fish. This one was £37 mirror and the big one, which was a 50-pounder. Uh, it, it come out before that at 46. It was a bit of a ghostly common, and I caught it at 50 pounds. So I'd say that's that was a nice scaly one that I had as well. So yeah, to catch a 50, to have it on the houseboat, to catch it in the winter from um, the other dock. I was walking my gear around, fishing like everyone else. So I didn't have any benefits bar being close. And I just kept it really simple, just boilies over pop-ups, soaking them up in the winter so they're easy to digest. Nothing technical, just consistently going down two, three nights a week. Um, yeah, and eventually I, I caught, I think I caught about 15 carp out of about maybe 30 that you would want to catch. And I got lucky again and caught two of the big ones that I wanted. So yeah, that's it. That's some of the most enjoyable fishing in London. I've got a few more big targets that I'm hopeful to catch this year. But yeah, that's what I'd say. Give it a try if you've not tried that urban, different style of angling, because you'll definitely get some out of it. Great stuff there from Henry and Jacob. And of course, next up, we've got bait boats. Now, they're not everybody's cup of tea, but you know what? They are a fantastic weapon in the carp angler's armory. And some people know how to get the best from them. Our next guest, Keith Williams, does exactly that. 
today. This is Keith Williams, Angling Techniques. Keith is a legend. He has caught an awful lot of big fish. Just come back from a very special trip yeah, as well, yeah, Keith. Yeah, definitely, yeah. You? Just tell them what the biggest was that you caught. Uh, 81.4. 81.4 ounces. If you want to know how to use a bait boat to catch some ridiculous fish, this is the man to speak to. So without further ado, I'll hand you over. Let's have a great round of applause for Keith Williams. Right, good morning. Um, boats. A lot of people buy those high-tech boats now. There's smaller boats, there's cheap boats, but you can still catch what I, I fish for with a normal boat. And it's a, it's a tactic, it's location and planning is the most key part of my fishing. And um, you can buy the high-tech boats, but if you don't put it in the right place and don't get your baiting right, you're wasting a lot of money. So you've got to really think about your planning. And some of my planning for lakes go to two years. I'll watch what's being caught on Facebook. Um, I'll look at drain downs. That's where specifically I've learned a lot from drain downs. A lot of these lakes, they drain them down every two or three years. And you find where the carp have been feeding and you find the little stream beds. And I had another 80 about five years ago, which we'll go through in a minute, where I found a perfect spot because the lake was drained. So I knew there's a two, two streams are coming about to join together and there was a big hard patch. Anyway, we start on, that, on what I'm gonna do. And um, Angling Technique started 30 years ago, believe it or not. And this is the original bait boat. And this is the first bait boat I used to catch my first 50. I hired it from a, a shop down the road from here, and uh, it was going all over the place, and you know what I was doing, but this is how I got into it. But the location was the key to catching this 50. So this is my first 50. Um, there's a lake called um, Domaine de Lille, don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was a 5112, and um, I got three weeks holiday out of that, so I was well happy. And there's a little story, this, this fish, because I caught it on the last night, and the amount of fish, big fish I catch on the last night, because you sort of get that baiting area, you just keep topping it up, and you learn about that swim. That's why I tend to go back to a lake three or four times to get a benefit of it. But this fish was caught, cool and um, my friend across the, across the thing, he was bragging he'd had a 40, but it was actually a 33 pound carp, he, you know, just sling out, and, we had a bit of a laugh about it. He didn't realise I caught his fish. And um, I had it sacked up overnight. And Brian Jarrett, if you know Brian Jarrett from Hinders, he turned up laughing because we told him what we was going to do. My friend had a 21 pound, but my friend, my other friend, thought he was blanking all week. So we got this 21 pound out. He was having his photos, and my friend was bragging he had his 40. Now it's only a 20. And uh, he goes, you can't let him take a photo of your fish. I said, yeah, yeah, it's all right, it'll be all right. So we put that one back, he goes, well, I've won the bet. And he goes, I said, I've just got another fish here. And I dragged this one out. He was pretty gay, but that was a monster fish. And that really got me into, into French fishing. So here we come to this lake called Millstone. It's a, it's a nice lake down in the limousine area. Got big fish and got to learn to know that water. And again, this is, I saw this lake drained and there was two tires in the middle of the lake. You never pick up on an echo sander. But when I spoke to the owner about it, it created a nice environment for small crayfish, naturals. And um, I just learned and I've pinned it. When I see it on 
when you sent me the photos, I learned where the trees were, so I knew exactly where, where, to, where to put the bait. But the nice thing about it, I kept watching that lake for about two years and kept documenting where these big fish were coming out from. So I knew what pegs um, I went to fish. Now this is a sort of secret that my friends don't know about. We used to go to the lake and say, what swim? They said, what one do you want to go? And I never gave where I go to fish. So I walked around the lake. I knew where I wanted, but I never knew. So always keep that in your head, you know, because in the day, you're always going to have hot pegs. So this is my first 60, it was 66. It's a millstone peg 12, and this is, where, this is called in between the tires. So again, you're just planning and getting the feed right as well. So here, I'm just feeding the bait boat. Without no rigging it, just kept plenty of bait going into that area. And I left it for two days. I never fished that, them tires to the Monday. And I always say to, to anyone who goes fishing in France, my fishing starts on a Monday. Because what you want to do is all the old bait from the previous week, because a lot of people put the bait in on a Friday night, pile it in, you want it out of your swim, you want them onto your bait. So you find my catch rates go up on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, starts to accelerate. So if you find your spot, let, let them have it, let the fish have it. So, and this is what, I've caught this on the Tuesday. And again, I started catching, catching, catching on that, that baited area. We come to liquids. Liquids are real key to my fishing and ground baits because you can put them in the, ground, in, in the, in the bait boat. I, I pierce the top of the, uh, I mean, I use a mainline stick mix and I pierce it sometimes and just put them in the bait boat and just let them leak. And if you've got aerators, it's even more perfect because the aerators will kick all that liquid out and it will draw your fish into your swim. And you regularly keep doing that, especially the wind's blowing to your bank, then fish ain't going to move. They just keep putting the pellet in and the board is in, and just keep them fed. What I do with my boilies, the week before, I always soak my boilies in liquids, so it gets really sticky. Even though it's frozen bait, if you put a lot of liquids in it, it will never go off. It, it gets so sticky, it sticks to your hand, especially pellet and flake maize, excellent stuff. So that, that's one of the sixties I caught there. This is another one, and you can see the size of the mouth on them. They want, they want food. And a lot of anglers, I think, go to France, they spend a lot of money going there, but when it comes to bait, they don't buy, buy bait, they just take 10 kilo. If you can't afford that, supplement it with pellet. Pellet will take a lot of liquids. If you put a lot of liquids in pellet, it will start to work through to the fish. The roach, if there's any roach in there, which most lakes have, it will start eating it, it will start digesting it, and it makes all that liquid all over the bottom of the silt, and the carp will come and find it. So always think about attracting other fish into your swim, just not the carp. So again, you can see a mouth like that. For that carp, you think how much she's going to eat, got to eat to keep maintaining that weight. So you put in if you're taking 10 kilo with you, that fish will eat that in a week, just that one fish to maintain that weight. So you need to keep putting that bait in. Sweet corn's really good, maize. So you don't have to buy a expensive boy, but you need to keep that bait going in and keep them fish out. Because what you can have, you can bag up or you just end up with one or two fish. So this is the biggest sand millstone. This is a lake record. I've had five lake records now from different lakes. This is a 73. And again, this one was from the tires. Again, it was like to the Wednesday, the Thursday, I caught that. And I could see them all fizzing up there without putting a rig there. So I just keep putting more and more in bait, and the more it's fizzing. 
So it was time now to put it out, up, out there. So as soon as I put it out there, I didn't get a full run. You can see it actually picked up the bait. Just got a couple of bleeps in the rod on, the, on my alarms. And I just see the tip move and I hit it. So when you're doing that kind of fishing, sometimes you don't get full runs because they've hooked themselves and don't realise, especially these size fish, they still keep feeding. So even get one or two bleeps, don't ignore them, sometimes it's worth hitting them. And so most of my big fish have been two or three bleeps. So you don't get that full steady run. So that was 73 pound and I caught that fish twice. Um, I went back there a year later and I caught it at the same, exactly the same spot, same time of year. These two, another two big fishes, is common. It's only 50 pound common, but it's unique to me. Um, I don't know what I do with commons, but I had this fish about five times. Every time I went to that, that lake, I used to catch this fish. It's the same spot. So it just shows you, they just keep going to the same spot. If you find the right time a week, a year, and you keep going that week, and when you book, do your bookings, think of the weeks you're booking as well. April, it's a fantastic month. Beginning of May, September, October. You'd never see me go to France in June, July, because the fish have spawned, have spawned three or four times, they're lethargic. So when you book, the key times is April and May. It's funny because the climate changes that affect it, because I used to think October was a good month, but it's now getting to like first two weeks in November, now starting to notice. And I'm going to start pushing my weeks back. Or the sort of like second week in September, whenever that hot spell, it just chills down at night, you find it starts to go back on the feed again. So if you want them big fish, look at mid-March to April, in September, October, and that's when you get them in the biggest way. So that's when I had this one again at 71, and you see the girth of it, and they go about baiting. That is a eating machine. That just wants so much bait, it wants to want to feed. So keep that feed going in. It may take two or three days, don't get impatient. Just keep that bait going in, and keep your rig there. I mean, sometimes I leave a rig there for 24, 48 hours. Again, that fell to the same trap, and uh, simple rigs as well I use. I think we come to the rig next. So at that time in Millstone, I was just using long hair, and people said to me, your, your hairs are so long, but I use hairs 52 mil long, and they're nailed, absolutely nailed, because it goes to the back of their throat, and the time it comes back out, they're hooked. So if you see, look at all the videos now from Danny Fairgrass, they're all short hairs, I go the other way. I go very long hair. When the hair was invented, it was long. So why change it? And say so they always get nailed. But again, it's just like a simple curve, blow back, it resets itself. Very easy rig. So simple. You've used it for years and years and years. Don't change. If you're confident with a rig, don't change it. So you'll still catch a fish. So baiting. Half past two to half past four in the afternoons, I will bait out with a bait boat, a spread like that. And I'll just keep putting six or seven out there. I'll sometimes put two marker floats out there. So never neglect the marker float either. Because even if you've got echo sound, you've got all this technology that's going around. I still want to feel that bottom, see if it's hard and see if they've been feeding. No echo sounder, whoever tells you different, will tell you what the state of that bottom's like. All right, if it's hard or soft. So, if you take three or four bait loads, up past two, straight out. And that's caught me a lot of fish. You've seen about half past six, couple of, let them, a couple of hours. I take my rods out as well. Let them have a breather. Let them get in the area. Let them feel confident. 
there's no lines in there, all the others are keeping their lines out, and I've seen them do it. I've taken mine out, the fish just move in there, and I can clean up. So it's no harm in taking lines out, even though they're there for a week, just give you, give you a swim a rest each, each day. These fish are pressurised. If you go in like September time, they fish week and week out. So they're seeing lines all the time. So if you're taking lines out, they're thinking, well, why not have a feed? Because nothing in there, and you've got them trapped. So we come to the echo sanders. Yes, they're good for finding little spots, but not to be of all, all of your fishing. Location has got to be the key how you catch fish and be consistent. There's no point fishing in an area where you've got nice plateaus, things like that. If the wind's blowing the other direction, you know, you've got to think about the wind, you've got to think about pressure. But I said, you also go back to, look at history of that lake. It's quite easy now with Facebook. If you're going for a week, just like their page and watch what's coming out and just record it. So your GPS systems. GPS systems, very, very good. That's one thing I will use it for, is for pre-baiting in England. I went to a lake in Norfolk and I used to turn up after work, lights turned off, and I just kept that bait going in during the winter. No one knew I was doing it. And uh, again, I, I, I filled that lake in with quite a lot of bait during the winter. And the area I was fishing, there's no swims at all, so and I was the only one fishing it. Then someone realised, the owner realised what I was doing, and five swims were put into that, into that area, and that just killed it. So I had to fish confident going in there because no one was, fe was feeding any bait there, only mine. So the fish would keep going there day after day, and um, every time I was going there, I was, I was catching fish. But it was an awkward swim. So look at places like that. If there's an awkward swim, no one's fishing, and you can pre-bait, use a GPS system. So we come to my first 80. We just had a little talk about it. This, I caught after the lake was drained the year before. But I went back there. There's a lake called Lac Serriere, and I don't think people know about it. It's a little island, and there's a stream coming from Badger's Hole, and there's a main stream coming in. And it created this small hump. But on the hump, there's a slight small plateau, and it was hard as anything. When I see it drain down, I was shocked at how it was. It's nothing I could believe, even looking at Echo Sander, what it looked like. I was quite astonished what, what had happened with the carp. The carp had just cleaned it, it was solid, solid mud, and everywhere else is like deep silt. And this is where this fish come from. And besides this, I think I had about 10 or 15. This is called like sort of late February. And again, it weren't a, a big run, it was like two or three bleeps, just see the tip move and I hit it. And then 30 minutes is on the bank. But it was such a powerful fish, you think it'll just burn off, but they won't, they just keep feeding. If you come so confident, they'll still keep feeding, they've got a hook in their mouth. So that's my first 80, 80 pound mirror, and it's still the lake record of that um, lake now. So that's what I called it on. And again, there weren't much bait. Even though I've been putting bait out, there's no point in putting my pile of bait, so I just want to keep it going. And you see there's plenty of hemp, there's a bit of boilies, there's a bit of sweet corn. There's not too much bait that time of year. But as you can see, it's sort of confusing because you've got 10 mils, 15 mils. I never use 18 mil boilies, always 15s. Because I want them to really dig into, into baits. If I find 18 mils, I find they just pick three or four of them up, what I found in the past. So I use a lot of smaller boilies and hemp and particle 
um, and pellet. So the smaller Laker uh, Serriers are called Badger's Hole, only three acres, very difficult water. Now this is a big, well, the biggest fish in there at that time was Jojo. Very hard fish to catch. But you can see the girth on it. This was caught in two and a half foot of water. I could even, you didn't even see where she was feeding. But I used to go around there every day and look at this area to see what was happening. And I was gradually putting bait in front of the bank. But before I'd done that, I raked the area. So if you've got two or three foot, even if you use a bait boat, rake it. I raked it two or three days and got all the silt so it was really hard bottom and just kept putting pellets and boilies. But I left that three or four days then, then I put the hook bait down. But before there, there's a sort of like, probably about four or five metres, there's a trough that was going through. With the fish, I could see the fish travelling up and down. And what I did was I put a load of bait there, but when I wanted to catch Jojo, I just put a smaller man underneath that trick where I've just sort of used the rake. So I didn't put much out there when I wanted to put a bait there. And that's what caught Jojo. So you don't have to fill the lake in or go really think about your taxes. So if you're fishing little margins or under, tree, under trees, you want them to make a mistake. That will make you make a mistake because it's two, two mouthfuls. But if you put a lot of bait underneath a tree, do you know that there's a residential area for them? It's their home. So they will just feed, just have a little feed, but they'll go and feed on the main area. But if they see a little bit there, they'll, they'll fall for it. So it's a good ambush trick in a bait boat, just to put a smaller bait. We've even done just single hook baits in a bait boat. So we come to the other special one at um, Badges. This one, I've had seven times this fish, and it's come four times, it's come from the same area. And this one comes from, there's a little monk that comes out, and you have to put the bait right in the far corner. And if you go there during the day, I see it's about three or four koi. And quite often, he used to swim around the koi, always with his koi. Why it goes with his koi, I don't know. But again, you can trap it because you see other people catch it as well. It comes to the same area. It lights them at certain areas. Big fish are quite territorial. So I always look again on Facebook. If you see a fish you want to target, that's what you want to do. Just plan your trip. So don't just think in, right, I'm going to France next week. Load your car up. Do your work, prep work the week, the week before for your bait, but up to a year to see what fish are in there and where they're coming from. And you'll see it will be consistent, it's always consistent. So we come to another special fish, um, Badger's Holt. I caught this last year. Um, it's one I've been after for a little while there. And it's uh, just under 70 pounds. It's still, it just come out 71, I think, last week. And again, the same sort of time, I was, this is the sort of time I used to go at Badger's Holt. It's come out at the same time. So there's a, there's a pattern. These big fish, they always seem to come out at a certain time of year. Time of year. Um, this one filled with the same trap, where Jojo from, underneath a tree, very small patch of bait, but four or five metres off, I was putting a big bed of bait along this trough. And you'll see the fish were going up and down, up and down it. So just think about what you're doing, especially when you're fishing margins. Um, this one's called Saddleback. This is a Mooring to Me. I've fished it for the last, last 10 years. But again, I fish the same week. So I always put the same week now 
I've sussed on, they're the two premium weeks, so I can now guarantee that one of us in, my t in the group we're in will get a big fish. So the pack of the died now. Um, again, this fell for a trick of where I used the aerators, and there's a walnut tree. By this, and the walnuts used to just fall in the water in September, little bits and pieces. And the amount of big fish, and you felt the bottom there, it was always rock hard. So look at these sort of little areas. Again, you can think on Facebook, people say they caught a walnut tree or an aerator, or little bits to give you their little game away, don't think about what, you, what they're saying. But look at that and keep that in your head or make a note of it. But again, Saddleback is sort of a, a famous fisherman now. Um, and again, I had that a couple of times. They fell for the same sort of area. There's a swim called Deliverance. They come from it, loved the area in September. Cut towel. Now, this is an amazing fish. I was hoping to get it this year. This is the sort of fish I went out there, um, went out there last week. This is the one I wanted. I've had this nine times, this fish, but every time I've been there, it seems to get caught, except for last week. Amazing fish. It goes up to 72 pounds, but drops down to 58 when it spawns out. But it's a greedy pig. And this fish will come out in September probably three or four times, then it'll just disappear. There's another one called Crinkle Tail, it does exactly the same. It's just that come out two weeks before. It won't get caught for like 18 months, but it's getting it's sort of the same sort of month and it'll come out of the same sort of area. There's a shallow, big shallow area where other big fish come out, where opposite to, to, to cuttail. Cuttail will come, comes up in the top half of the lake, but it's an amazing fish. This one's called Black Spot. This one's now, oh sorry, this is one's called Drop Scale, little Drop Scale. This come out, my friend had this last week at 74 pounds. Um, this one loves the shallows. Where I was fishing the opposite end, this one always comes out down the shows in April and September. And um, why it sticks down there, I don't know. It comes from the same spot near enough for the time, but again, if you see on Facebook, you can guarantee, if you can pick up where that fish is, you can guarantee that fish will get caught within them two weeks. Um, this one I had last year, now, this, no, this, sorry, this is the first fish I had, this dream session. I had 19 fish. Uh, my average was 53 pounds, it worked out to. It was 10 over 50. Now last year, I went there last September, and I fished the same swim, and I had an abysmal session. Now I put it down to two things. One, I got complacent. I just turned up there, I thought I could just get a cane it. And I ended up with 11 fish, but eight of them were 20s. Because I didn't do my prep work with, with a bait, didn't see what was caught the week before, the week before that. I didn't think about the weather. So I just picked them out there, just complacent. So this year, I'm thinking, right, I'm going home in April, same swim, I was gonna, I wasn't gonna go, I was gonna go in deliverance. And I changed my mind two weeks before, because I saw the weather. So I always have a plan B. So I persuaded my other friends to go on the other side of the lake. Gave them some, some excuse, oh, I've got to take them three of us. We want to fish this bank, you fish the other side. And they like deliverance. So they went there and I was happy thinking, right, I've got to swim where well, I wanted to go. Because I looked at back, the biggest common, or the big fish, comes this, this or last week I had the fish. Now the, the owner of the lake changed our weeks. So we was going the week before, and every time I go the week before, because of the year, or the days change each year, we was going back and backwards, and then he moved that day forwards. So that's why I chose to fish 
um, zippy swim. So this is my first fish out there. I just dropped one. So this is the start of the session. Um, that was 50, I think, just over 50. So as I said to you, it was 19 fish. The average was 53 pound. Um, again, there's, there's a couple of 60s there. There's another 50 there. Again, fell for the same sort of method. I had two methods going. I had one with an aerator and one with a boat. The, the, the owners always go out in a boat every sort of during the winter, clean the boat out, bit of pellet underneath the boat. And you can guarantee during the week there's always a fish going to go there. I just think it's easy feed. So he's feeding all the year, he's feeding them for me. But what I do tend to the boat, I don't put a lot of feeding, I just put half a dozen boilies. Because when I see him go out cleaning his boat, he's just picking up your bit of pellet, just throw it in the water. Where he drops you when he's done the main feed. So think about what's happening on the fishery as well. So I learnt, if you just put it in and the fish just want a little bit, they're just going in there, picking a few baits and going. Um, that's where that one come from. Where this one come from, the made feeding area, which I'll tell you about in a minute. So this is a 7114, I had the same session last week. And what I was doing, I was fishing, there's a, an area, there's three aerators. And what I did, the wind was pumping in there. And my friend who's here now, now he didn't realise what I was doing, but I was actually using stick mix liquid and putting holes in the stick liquid mix liquid and then put it in the, in, the, in the bait boat so it was dripping, just letting the boat go into the aerator, no rigs, no nothing. So about five minutes is out there, it was just all this liquid is going in the, in the water, sinking to the bottom. And what you've got to realize is a lot of undertow there. So if there's a lot of undertow, it's going to drag down to, to bring the fish up to you. It's like river fishing. When I was done match fishing, you fishing a river, you just put in magazine, you find them upstream and let the fish come up. Well, I've done exactly the same with this. This is what I think why it's a successful session, because most of the fish come from this area by using liquids and soaking pellets, so it's really sticky. So I was drawing a fish and I was hopefully I was keeping them in there, which I did. So little tricks like that, you need to keep up your sleeve without anyone knowing about it. But I say, so all I'm doing is just puncturing holes in the stick mix liquid and letting it leak out into the lake. So the area is just pushing it everywhere. Because creating that sort of, I mean the undertow there must be quite, quite big. Because when they drain the lake down, this is what you find by lake draining, what you look at. It's cleaned the bottom out. The aerators pushed this silt right up. So you've got these big holes around the aerators. So the water must be really, really pushing through. So... Always look at aerators as a good starting area to put liquids in or putting loose pellet in so it kicks everywhere, but you just want to try and get the wind to blow into it. So here's the lake record. Um, the first 80 from the lake is 81.4. Mega fish. Um, again, this one did steam off this one. I was in my friend's swim and I had to run around and get it and uh, the owner was there. And, the worst thing is that the owner's really pressurising you to, what is it, what is it? And I didn't want him now, so I said it was a pasty. But the robber's just doubled over, you know? So we had it on for 20 minutes. I said, nah, still a small fish, and it boiled on the top. And he saw it and realised, oh, I know what fish that is. But it's a mega fish, took around about 25 minutes to 30 minutes. But the power of it is unbelievable. So to get an 80 pound common, an 80 pound meal has always been my ambition. So where I moved to, I don't know now, but I say it's a mega fish and, you know, to get a 71 after that as well, 
was unbelievable. And um, I was hoping I never ever got soaked in my friends. And uh, as you see, I always soaked them, take them to the slate and always got their PBs. I got, uh, I think it must have been karma and I, I got slaughtered. So the boat I was using was a mica cat. Again, what I was tend to do, I was putting the stick mix liquid just laying it on top there, just piercing it, keeping the door shut. So when the liquid went on the door then, as soon as I got to the area, it just leaked all over that aerator. And again, what I also tend to do is, if I'm putting a rig out, I'll just put one in the right-hand side, can you open the first door, just put a rig and a few baits. Like that one I did with Jojo, this is all full. So I'll drop this off first, and then I'll really drive the bait boat really fast, and uh, set so it creates that big feeding area as well. Um, using the Tolson now, so again, you've got GPS on it. And again, what you've got to think about, this is where your boat is. A lot of people get confused. They think the boat's there, but your boat's always here. So if you stop your boat, it's will always go straight. Always get asked that question. So that was my dream catch for April. Um, going back to that September, what I do in September, I don't know. But um, just say, get 280s, I was well happy. So just like really just to thank Angling Techniques for taking me on and mainline baits really as I'm a consultant for them for really sponsoring me for the last 25 years. So it's been a reason about, but you know, just think about your tactics, thinking about your planning, and you'll have a good trip. So thank you very much. One of the great things about carp fishing is it can be whatever you want it to be. But the main thing is to enjoy yourself. And if anybody enjoys themselves in carp fishing, it's these next guests, Dan Hawks and Jay Cater from Ridge Monkey. The Great Escape has run for a number of years now. It has been absolutely superb, real entertainment. So let's go behind the scenes with them, find out exactly what it's like and also what wind-up merchants these two really can be. So you'll have seen these guys across YouTube, some fantastic adventures. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what life is like at Ridge Monkey. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a fairly new brand, but you've just shot to the forefront of everything in a very short period of time. Tell us yeah. what it's like there. What, what's life at Ridge Monkey like? So it started a um, long time ago, probably seven, eight years ago now. And in the fishing industry, that's nothing. We are tiny, really, um, in the space of time. But we have literally come from nowhere. Um, I remember... Paul saying to me, Jay, what do you think of this? Do you think it's a good product? And I was like, mate, that will absolutely smash it. Oh, I'm going to get 500, I think. Like I the said, frying pan? No, yeah, this was the frying pan. He said yeah. to me, uh, I think I'm going to get 500. What do you reckon to that? I said, you know what? If you're going to do a show, let's get 1,000 and see what happens. And we were sold out by one o'clock. And that was literally the start of it. Um, and then, obviously, I was looking at products. and said, Oh, you know, so I'm the product developer guy, right? So I was making the products and... It, it was just an evolution. So I remember having uh, a, a Fox Bivy light and I used to run out of the battery, constantly run out. Every other week it'd be, be dead. I'd be constantly, you know, can't we do one that's rechargeable? Let's, let's make, all right, we'll find one, we'll source one, then we develop it, draw it and get it made. And that's how Ridge Monkey started really, just an evolution of stuff that we wanted to fish with um, that, that come about. And then, yeah, that was it. And, you know, people think that we're all just full-time anglers. We ain't. We work five days, six days a week um, in an office job, really. I mean, Dan's a sales manager, so he's driving all over the place, and I'm sitting in, in an office around the corner drawing products. Levy's um, the only one. 
Lev is the only one who actually <laughs> is living the dream. Which is five yeah. days a week. <laughs> no, week. no, two nights a week. You can speak to Dave. <laughs> two nights a week to Dave, but five to everyone else. So, yeah. But that's it, really. Like the products that we sort of bring out. Try your mic down just to see. The products that we bring out, they're sort of problem solving problems. Products, they're not just to solve problems for you guys, they're for us as well. The products that we've had in the past from other manufacturers, like Jay said, everyone says you manufacturers and brands try and reinvent the wheels, trying to make something better than it needs to be, but it's all done for a purpose. Like The product development team, Jay, Gareth, Max and Paul, they're relentless. It's not like products that you see in the shelves here and in other tackle shops, they're two years of development, they're two years of Jay and these people testing, getting them right to make sure there isn't problems, eliminating problems, they're solving problems all the time. And they're solving problems for us that work for the brand that are anglers and also the end user. That's why it's a great brand to work for because it is innovative. You're not just selling OEMs off the shelf. There's yeah, yeah. products. That <clears throat> it, looks, it looks a good laugh. I've got to say that you look like you're always having a good laugh there as well. I know there's, there's obviously a serious side to that business. Yeah. But when you see The Great Escape as a prime example, you are constantly ripping into each other. Yeah. We all like a piss up. <laughs> <laughs> when, no. you, when you go fishing with your mates, it's about big fish, having loads of laughs, pranks and fun. And I think we're probably one of the most outgoing brands there is. And the people, we all bounce off each other great. Don't get me wrong, there's times where you're in a draw and you're getting bum steered by Levy, which yeah. we've both had. He wants to swim, and but makes out that all of them are so good. It's one of them ones where you say, "What ones you fancy, Dave?" And he goes, "Honestly." And that's as soon as he says that, as soon as he does, that's him. Right, there is like, yeah. The minute he says, "Honestly," this is where I'd go. You go right. I'm going to go in the opposite one because he's and he hasn't fell for that one yet either. He hasn't actually wised up to that one either. Yeah. So like we know him straight away. So he done it to me last week at Burners. <laughs> Full on cheating. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fishing away. This is on a friendly social. Yeah, for this someone's is a friendly birthday. social for someone's birthday, and I'm fishing dead opposite him. And I'm not joking, it was just getting dark and I see his bait boat coming across. And I'm WhatsApping him, Dave, are you taking a piss? Like, you're literally over my spot. And he went, ain't my bait boat. I'm like, Dave, I'm watching it going back to your swim. And he just laughs. Just laughs. He's like, yeah, whatever. Like, just, he's ruthless. And it, but you've got that for two weeks when you go fishing with Dave, like yeah. on the film. So sometimes you can, you know, you want to kill each other, but we're all mates. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. The actual Great Escape started... Um, with us doing Parco, weren't it? Yeah. So we went to Parco just as a social. Um, Parco. No, the first Parco, the, oh, the, the one we did. Trip, um, yeah. Dream. No, not. Dream it wasn't trip. even really filmed properly. Remember Simon was filming. Yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> went there, and Simon McCabe come along, yeah. and he went, "Oh, I'll just do a bit of filming. All right, it'd be great." So we all had a great laugh. You know, we was on the beer, and we had a, a proper social. Hundred fish. <laughs> yeah, we did well that week. Um, and it was a case of, well, do you know what? Three mates going fishing. Should we just? do a video of this and then we booked it up again and we went again didn't we and that was the start of the great escape really we, yeah. we, was, we wanted it to not be serious and not be product yeah involved. obviously you want to show products to sell to keep companies going but we wanted it to be a bit different off the cuff and just have a laugh and with these two wankers you literally don't you know, like genuinely <laughs> yeah. you don't know what they're going to do like Dave's shitting in my bucket obviously anybody listening yeah. to this there is the odd foreign word in yeah. there that none we, of us we, will which understand. will probably come from me but Dave <laughs> me and Jay have gone for an expedition trying to find some fish and I came back to one smell my bivy smelling horrid and two be sent a whatsapp message of Dave having a dump in my bait bucket <laughs> which has gone viral <laughs> which like, you don't expect and then another one we was fishing at Western Park I've gone back to find my bed chair had been moved 
He'd filled it up with boilies. The whole bed was just full up of frozen boilies. <laughs> They're playing pranks all the time. So that Western Park one, what we'd actually done is I took every item of Dan's bivvy out and put it outside. So it was rearranged outside exactly how he had it on the inside of his bivvy. Yeah, and full of, <laughs> full of boilies. Like, you know, we all have a bit of a laugh anyway, don't we? But I've got to say that you guys, sometimes you take it just that little bit further than I would take it, and you eat some, some ridiculous things. I mean, what, what do you think is the... Well, firstly, tell the guys about that. Secondly, who come up with that concept? Paul. And thirdly, what's the worst thing you've eaten? So Paul comes up with the concepts all the time. And if I'm honest, we, we've actually said he goes too far. Because some Cause he doesn't have to do he it, doesn't though, does care. he? He literally doesn't care. I've never known somebody to be so ruthless. He, he's just not a care in the world. We did that kayaking one where I nearly died, and it's edited really good, to be fair. It's edited like, oh, it was just a bit of a laugh. I absolutely shit a brick and nearly died. <laughs> and I remember the guy, there's been five people died in that river, like right. from doing the, doing the rapids. Tell the story. There might be so, people that haven't yeah, seen so it, and if you haven't, you haven't it, then we, do watch it. We had, we had to do a race down the, down the river kayaking. So we did it in a, a big kayak, you know, a big uh, raft, yeah. which was great fun. And then he said, right, okay, we've got to do it individually now. So we've got an individual race. Use free going down. And I remember just clocked the blokes, the, you know, the, the event organizer, and he was saying, Oh, these guys are strong swimmers. Da, da, da. And Paul was like, Yeah, straight away. And I thought, Well, I'm not that strong a swimmer, so I don't know where you've got this idea from. And the bloke, like, you know, when Paul's just blagging him constantly, yeah. saying yes to everything, you know, like a tick box. Yeah. Can they do this? Can they do this? Have they got any problem? No, just tick, 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 without asking any of us. So, anyway, jumping in this kayak. So if anyone's been on YouTube or you see them, you know when a fat bloke jumps on a ra- on a on a lilo in the swimming pool, yeah, and the and the lilo just shoots off. But that was me in the rapids on an inflatable kayak. <laughs> Honestly, I thought I was going to die. I was under the water for about a minute, sm- black and blue bruised. Got up. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Paul's at the side of the thing, just crying with laughter, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. James and that uh, day, you can win it. I'm not bothered. I'll go wherever. So, yeah, that was probably my worst um, one. But eating-wise, probably in Hungary, when you lot stitched me up with the um, pig dick. Penis. Pig yeah. penis. Yeah. yeah, we went to, uh, what was it, Carp Dream Lakes? Yeah. Carp, Carp Dream Lakes in Hungary, and we all had a curry. My one was, it was all the same spice, Carolina Reapers, really hot. I didn't mind hot food. Jay was okay, Dave weren't. But it had different segments of pigging. Dave had the nose, I had the feet, and Jay got all the penises. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was really unfair. But, but <laughs> it, 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 he was chewing one bit and heard it pop. And then, but he's partial to a bit of penis, so it's all right. But <laughs> For the lady and gentlemen that have just walked in the room, this is probably going to be the strangest conversation that you've ever heard. That, that is not a penis burger, don't worry. We're just talking about eating pig penis at the moment. I think one of the worst was Western Park. We, uh, we had Simon Bishop come and do us a five-course meal. And Michelin star chef, you think it's going to be fantastic, nice food. Two of the courses, well, I don't like fishing any, any apart from catching them, I don't like eating fish, smelling them. I like to eat in any way at all. And we had fish eyes. We had to eat two fish eyes, they burst, got round that one. And then we had a fish's head, mackerel's head with all the bones, wrapped in stinging nettles. Oh, I forgot about that one. And we had to eat 
and I could hear the bones crunching when Dave was trying to get it done. And then the pudding, the dessert, was a large spoon of cinnamon and it properly <laughs> done all of us. Yeah. yeah, the cinnamon really done all of us. I, I, I thought I was going to win, so I smacked the cinnamon down as quick <laughs> as I could. Biggest regret ever. These two were tipping it away. I'd done the whole spoon. It just went oh. everywhere. You cheat on every single one, so don't say you was innocent. You cheat on I've every one. I've got to cheat because even he eats anything. Even the curry one, he, we was just saying about in Hungary that he don't like, you know, whatever it was. He, so he won that one. And when you looked in his bowl, because we had to give up, so I was... Turn up the I, uh, That way? Yeah, I think it's just echoing off the top. Oh, okay. So the pig penis, I couldn't do. Like, uh, there's one thing... He don't but like. If there's he one don't... thing I won't eat, it's pig penis. <laughs> you know what, my friend? You and me are on exactly the that same. That wasn't what I was going to say. <laughs> I don't actually mind a bit of penis, but the. <laughs> <laughs> but he... So he don't like fish. I don't like gristle, penis. like gristle and fatty bits. Yeah. And they won't, will not eat an olive, right. right? So it's kind of like we've all got our own little things. So he gets his curry and he is wafting it down, absolutely hammering. And we're thinking, how is he eating this so quick? I'm gagging constantly on this pig penis yeah. and Dave's just like eating his because he don't care about winning he's just eating his like thingy so I've just give up and said no nope, I can't do it basically if you puke up or you throw it up you're out of the game so I was like alright so I'm out Dave was just giving it he went no I'm done I can't eat no more so he's won looked in his bowl he hadn't eaten any of the actual meaty parts he'd just been eating clever. the juice very clever so yeah don't say you don't cheat you cheat all the time I think one of the best things that some of you would have seen as well is on one of the trips, Dave and Jay was having a bit of banter back and forward and Jay said, it got a bit heated and Jay said, at one point, Dave, I'm going to get you back, you're not going to know. I was sharing a hotel room with Dave that day and he thought it had all been finished. He went, he never got me back. I gave Jay our room key to let him come in our room and he, he filled his link shower gel with Carolina Reapers. Like, completely filled, completely filled the, the links and... And his toothpaste, but he caught me on the toothpaste, didn't he? He, 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 said, he said, I've got to go and have a shower. And I had to go to the room to do some videos. I, was, yeah. I couldn't not go. And I could hear him going in the shower. And he was going, mate, burning in it. What's going on? And I was going, not sure, mate. If and all right. And he'd come out and he was bright red, tail round him, chest red raw. And he was going, mate, my eyes are stinging. He went, don't even talk to me about down there. And I, and he, was, he was on fire, like, literally. He was about to burst. Yeah, he, and I, I filmed it as well. And I, do you know when you're laughing because someone's in so much pain, so you're giggling, right? He but he was really angry. Like he was. He was, I wonder it was why. No, he was really pissed off. He was yeah. like, "This ain't funny. This is not funny. You've gone too You've far." Gone too far. But the, the, to be fair, that bit was really good. But the, the better bit was about four or five days later when we was at that cart lake in Hungary, and I've walked down and Dave's sitting on the side of his bed chair, his legs open. And he's got his bivvy daughter about here. And I'm thinking maybe he's going to the toilet or something, you know. And I'm like, you know what, Dave? And he's just looked at me. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, what's the matter? And he's got soda cream. And he's putting it on his bits, right? And he went, he's taking all the skin off. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have some laughs. We do. But um, it is dangerous. Because even on that trip, so we've all got the same vans. Um, a few days later. For some reason, we've got like a little secret compartment under the chair, yeah. under our seat. And I'd only actually found it the week before. I'd had the van a year. Yeah. But I thought, I thought it was where like a battery was or something. But it wasn't. It was just a hollow void. And I put some painkillers and stuff like that and some random plasters. You know, like just a little an emergency kit under there. And I was at the gym and I thought, oh, my back's really hurting. Oh, no, I've got some cocodamol in my van. 
this was about two weeks after I'd come back off the trip. So I've opened it up, and as soon as I've opened it up, there's a massive, great big bag of poo that he'd stuffed in the thing. So it'd been in there two weeks, and I'm like, ah, just, no, done me, yeah. So yeah, it's like a constant hey, battle. Where's this compartment on the van? Because I, I didn't even know we had this. I'm going to go check mine. Yes, you should. <laughs> it is like fishing jackass, isn't it? Really yeah. not. Just the, 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 the things you get it to. How many Great Escapes were there in total? Is it six? Six, six or seven, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fishing-wise, where do you think the best place you went was? For me, probably uh, Salasco. Yeah. Um, the last, the last one we just done. Amazing. Um, I loved all the others. I loved Abbey Lakes. I loved, yeah. you know, caught some amazing fish on all of them. To be fair. Yeah. But Salasco was just it suited me perfectly. Spotting at about hundred yards. Yeah. Three rods on the spot. The fish were amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of sixties, yeah. and it was just one of them lakes that just. When you, when you bivvy up and you know you're going to be there for a week or two, you kind of want to look at something nice as well. Yeah. And it just all, yeah, Salasco was Incredible really place. nice. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine's probably Zumba. Like, we, we hit Zumba right at the peak when it was so, so good. Yeah. My first fish was 53, second to last was 68. I had 40 fish over 40 pounds. Yeah. It was just like re- relentless bites all day long. But all, all of the lakes offer something different and you've got to test yourself so much on some of these different venues. Some of your bait boats you're allowed, some you've got to have rowing boats, some you've got to cast. And Zarki, it's a Zarki, I think it's pronounced properly in Croatia, took me out of my comfort zone because yeah. all the lakes I fish locally in Kent, they're all, yeah. it's all short range, quite intricate under trees, willows, yeah. hand placing some rigs in, and there was 33 wraps. Fishing it all week destroyed me. Yeah. But then I did my normal sort of fishing, came back to what I was comfortable with and caught a 78. Yeah, yeah. So, but... If you're going to go somewhere for such large fish, that's Sazaki's such a great venue, but it's, hard work, it's it? very, very hard work. It sounds like 33 wraps for some people is nothing. Mm. It's not, not far to a lot of people, but doing that all week, spotting from Monday to Thursday, 100 kilo of bait yeah. all week, tirelessly. You got to the point where it got to four days in, I wanted Everything to find shorter spots. I was knack fucked. Everything hurt. I was literally, I was beaten. Yeah. I've never fished like that in my I, life. I was, fishing yeah, at fir- I was fishing at 39 wraps on that, in that swim. You started and further. You started further yeah, than come back because of the wind. It, it was savage. You are baiting from the minute you get up until the minute you go to bed. Um, and they, they, they tell you you're not allowed to bait at night. Um, so, and they've got, they're watching you the whole time as well. So yeah, that's probably one of the hardest venues. I mean, places like Orellana are amazing. Yeah. Going out in a boat, massive, great big walk, it's 35 miles long. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, but it is what it is. You go out in a boat, you drop your bait, you come back, you've got a 10 ounce lead, it ain't gonna move anywhere. Yeah. You come back and you, it's fine. Um, I find that fishing, to look at, it looks amazing. So you've got all the scenery you could ever imagine, you've got everything perfect. But for me, that fishing's quite boring. Because once you've done your rods, you're just sitting there, your you chips are, are up. It's it, a patient game. It's just being patient. Um, and if the fish don't come along, which they yeah. didn't well, we really move, for me We, we moved day. twice, didn't we? we yeah. Oriana, if you don't really know it, is the equivalent sort of Kent scale, Dover to Maidstone. It's massive. It is such an expanse of water. It's colossal. 100 foot deep in some places, 35 where we were fishing. And if you're not on them, it don't matter how many drones you've got, how much time, how many hours in a day, you're not on them. And there was a couple of times during the week we was there, they weren't anywhere near me and Jay. They was not on us at all. So we moved and moved and moved. And it is quite boring. I say that fishing is quite boring. You're just sitting watching, looking at the same horizon markers. And it's not like, it sounds crazy, you've got four acres to yourself, but where do you position your rods in that four acres to get a bite? 
because the show's got to come in and, yeah. and come across you. Where some of the venues like Zumba, Zaki, Abbey, you know them fish are in there. You got a chance at some and point you, they're swimming past you. You're constantly working at them, aren't you? Yeah. You're constantly working at them, lakes. So when you've got to go out 400 yards, you go 400 yards. You ain't rebaiting that. No. You know, just to reel in, you have to go out in a boat to bring it back in. Yeah. You know, you can't just reel a 10 ounce lead in. So yeah, they've all got their challenges. Yeah, they're all hard fantastic. work in different ways, though, yeah, aren't they? You know, exactly. whenever you go overseas, it's a different type of hard yeah. work. Yeah. So what? But the key thing is, work hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, you never want it easy. When you you're filming as well, it's filming in slow motion. It's fishing in slow motion. Yeah. Everything's slow. So you get there on a Saturday, you're pretty much not putting your rods out till Saturday night. Maybe Sunday sometimes, isn't it? It's, By the it, time you've mucked around and I think it's just I think it's motion. quite funny because obviously you film for years, Rob, and so loads of people do. We're in a really fortunate position to fish for a brand and go filming. We've got a new series coming called The Approach, which is like tactics, tips, a masterclassy sort of video. And we're bringing pro team anglers that the general public probably wouldn't know or see so much. Yeah. When they come on these trips for the very first time, like some of them have said to me, you're actually having a laugh. We've been here 36 hours, you haven't put a rod out. You're actually like, what is going on? That's how it is. But because you've got to get the intro right, you've got to get everyone strategically in the right positions, the right times sorting all the swims out and a week-long trip sometimes is the equivalent of four days fishing and everyone thinks it'd be amazing to go on their trip some of them finish the trips after a week and go never want to do another one yeah. they don't want to do it they're just not you've got to have the right mindset and it is it's stressful yeah it's not like you just go abroad catch big fish and smile because it's I've, it I've literally just come back from fisherbill and doing doing one of the approaches and we kind of had a bit of a delay on the first day anyway they kind of double booked us a little bit so we weren't fishing until the sunday and the lads were so excited to get fishing. They were like, oh, I can't wait to put the rods out, I can't wait. I'm like, don't know why you get so excited, because you're not going to be able to put the rods out for another day anyway. So even when you get in the swim, you're still not properly fishing until the day after. Um, but then once you settle in, it just becomes a fishing trip then. You know, get all the bits out of the way out, you know, that you're filming, and then it's just a case of just catch a load of fish and, or try to, yeah. <laughs> and go from there. It's, it's tough. You know, filming's tough. Again, I've, I've done it for many, many years. You know, it's tough. It's, yeah. It is what it is. But actually, when you see the end result, and yeah. you know, particularly the Great Escape, some of that was was classic stuff as well. Yeah. It was a real standout series. Uh, so it'd be very interesting to see the next one. Um, we are. I'm not going to say we're running out of time, but we, you know, we've got half an hour yeah. on to, to yeah. chat. Let's let's talk a little bit tactics now. So we'll we'll step away from what you've done and let's look at what you're doing. If if you're making tactical films. Let's talk about 30 pounders. So, quick show of hands. How many people caught a 30 pounder? How many people caught a 40 pounder? So, 40 pounder right, would off. be a good target. <laughs> nice to catch 40 pounders. 40 pounder is a big fish. I still think a 30 pounder is a big fish. Yeah. It is, yeah. If you're going out tomorrow to target a 30 pounder or a 40 pounder, you know, as a big fish, what would you be looking at? So, give us some tips and tactics. This time of year, best way to catch fish. So, uh, I've had quite a few months away from fishing. I've had quite a few 40 pounds. No, I've, I've had... Oh, <laughs> 40, yeah. Did I tell you I've had 40, 40 pounds in one trip, by the way? <laughs> I, I've had a few months away from angling and I've come yeah. back raring to go, but a little bit blind on my syndicate. Yeah. But I've gone in with now the last few weeks and I believe the next couple of weeks that are coming, you've got to be looking at all sorts of spring tactics. Yeah. Anywhere where the sun's going to penetrate quickly, shallower areas of the lake, and I've had a few fish in the last few weeks on zigs yeah. because they're moving about, they're looking for the sun, they're looking for warmth, they're coming out of that winter slumber. And I've had a fair few fish now just on single little yellows. The shows are now more prominent than they was November, December, January, February, March. So I'm looking at any early signs, a little bit of fizzing, 
the shallower areas where I believe the fish are going to be looking for the sunlight. We're all sun worshippers, yeah. so are the fish, they like it. Little traps, little tactics, I've probably used, I've done six nights in the last three weeks and I've probably used three kilo of bait yeah. and I've had 18 fish. It's a 43 pound rub. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're traps. I'm yeah. fishing for a bite at a time, not over baiting and just outwitting them when they're coming out of that winter slumber. You're not got to go in gung-ho, filling it in. Little bites, little and often application. Just setting little mouthfuls. Breakfast. To get, yeah, yeah. Like mouthfuls. It's minimal food content, loads of attraction, little bags, zigs, sticks. Dan's breakfast, not Jay breakfast. No. Yeah. So, I breakfast. <laughs> my my breakfast is in about a month. Yeah. So, yeah, Dan, Dan's absolutely spot on. Basically, just little traps. Try and nick them at the moment. Try just as they're waking up. Finding, little, oh, there's a little bit of bait there. I don't have to work too hard for it. Come down, take a bait. Obviously, check the clarity of the water. So, depending on whether it's really clear, you might want a white one. Depending on whether it's murky and you think, okay, I've, they've got to see that properly. Then test them in the water, whatever you, you know, we go for a darker bait. Um, to me, it's now a case of building on, building the lake that you're fishing and building through the next month or so. Um, Dan's been fishing for the last three, four weeks. So you're coming out of that really cold snap into this warmer area, warmer time, and I think from now it's going to be build on what, so finding nice areas, coming into spring, getting a bit of bait in before they start spawning. So that's my plan over the next sort of month and a half, is to find the areas, like kind of fine tune the spots that I want to be in, trickle a little bit of bait in, not too much, just enough, and then when them fish are on it and you do get bites off of it, then you can start introducing a bit more. What about bite times this time of year? Are you finding you caught more at day or night or any time? Everything I've, I'm doing overnighters, so I'm arriving six, seven at night. I'm gone by eight the next morning. All my bites have been night bite, night, night. Or I've had a lot of fish. Uh, I was filming this week before I came here Tuesday, yeah. and my bite then was seven in the morning. The bite Tuesday was ten to seven. Yeah. The bite before that was half six. So that early wind, that early first morning wind. Yeah. This time of year, I think is. Yeah, well, I will tell you, the that's when they're showing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So now. You know, it might not be the, the, the exact time, but it's more about light levels. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, uh, it, it could be telling them more. As long as that light level's this time of year, that's when I think that they're on it. You know, it starts changing. The minute the, the light levels change, that's when they change. Yeah. They can tell. I've certainly seen more fish. I, I've set an alarm half five every morning to pack up and go to work yeah. for the sales. From half five till half six, I've seen so many fish the Paul's last few weeks. I'm not listening to this, by the no, way. You don't have to lie that's, that's, that's true. I was here. Yeah, we're recording it live. Yeah. It might be. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so he is at work at night, really, Paul. <laughs> so many fish are showing early morning. Yeah. That first first light, that fish fisher activity, they're moving about, and I think you know, there's more pressure at the moment because more people are fishing than there was for the winter months. Yeah. So I think they are going to get caught because other people's lines are pushing them around. Yeah. But it's a great time to be out now. They're at the optimum weights, and they yeah, want to be caught. Absolutely. Right. We're going to finish up. Top Perfect. tip for catching a carp. Uh, don't ignore zigs this time of year, 100%, yeah, they're going to be in them, as soon as that sun's up, they're going to be in the upper layers, um, definitely get on the zigs. Don't be scared to change, if you're used to fishing bags, sticks, so everyone around you is catching on zigs or overbait, change, don't, don't be scared to change. Fantastic. Brilliant, boys, right. it's been wonderful Thank to you talk all. to you, it's been great to listen to some of the behind the scenes stories, keep doing what you're doing, don't leave yet, we're going to give you a big round of applause. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's it, another absolutely fantastic Outcast podcast, this time, of course, live. We'll be going back to our regular podcasts next month and we'll be releasing the next one in June. 
Remember to follow us on social media for updates and information on future guests. See you next time.